We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, back again to talk about some wings. My name is Mike, happy to be here as always, and as always, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Lukewarm to be here as always. Um, back again <laughs> for another week. We are T-minus eight weeks out from the NBA draft, uh, mm-hmm. and our guest, well, you, you go ahead and introduce him, Mike. Very excited yeah, to talk to this guy as always. Me too, me too. Joining us... Uh, to talk about the draft and talk about two guys specifically, I think we're going to start to try to narrow our focus on when it comes to the draft. Instead of talking about the entire thing as a whole, we want to start focusing on individual guys. And to help us with that, uh, joining us, uh, known on Twitter as Zona Sports, I believe, is Brandon, who writes for Bright Side of the Sun. Brandon, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, glad the draft date is finally set. Um, feels like we've been with this stuck with this draft class forever so um but yeah I'm, I'm happy to come on here and talk about it with you guys 
I mean, I feel particularly bad for guys like you, to be honest, because you you have <laughs> yeah. you have a Patreon, um, Brandon. You you put out your list recently of mm-hmm. your first. Was it a big board or a mock draft of the twenty twenty one class? It was a big board. I had to do a little twenty twenty one like digging just to keep my sanity because this right, twenty twenty class. Just to save you know, your sanity, because yeah. how many months has it been of of twenty twenty mm-hmm. coverage? At this I mean, point for by you? now all these guys should be drafted and on teams. Like we should have had summer league and everything. So it's just such a right. long process. Right. Do you feel like that has helped you or do you think that you started to overthink some of these things at some point or, you know, I think it's it's a long time. Um, The more you watch is the better, obviously, but there are some like things you'll overthink and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird situation all around, but for the most part, it's probably helped as annoying as this class has been. Yeah. Besides these guys that we're going to talk about a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think there's there's some interesting players in this draft, and I think there's like obviously as there always is, there's just going to be one guy that just hits from like pick eight to pick like twenty, and and that's going to be the guy that's going to be maybe possibly the best, even the best player in this draft potentially. I'm not fully bought into the guys at the very top of the draft. Maybe maybe you are, and and we don't have to talk about that in this episode, but. I just think the Suns are in an interesting spot in this 10th pick and there's some guys that could be available there or maybe even if they're good enough, they're the type of guys that you could trade up for. That's something that I think we're going to talk about too. Before we get to the draft, I just wanted to talk about this because it was really fun to watch. This Denver Lakers series is the first time that we're seeing a legitimate big man battle in a conference final matchup since the Spurs were in it. And I find it fascinating, and I find it really fun to watch. We had a long conversation about the worth of big men recently on this podcast, and it feels like the playoffs are trying to throw that back in my face, which is fair. Hmm. I actually enjoy being wrong, because basketball, if it was entirely predictable, would be pretty boring. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on watching that matchup. Brandon, uh, when you watch these uh, this battle between Denver and LA, does that make you think any differently about the NBA as a whole, or even Aiton with the with the Suns, or what what does it make you think about? Yeah, so I kind of like I've taken a step back a little bit, just reminding myself this is not normal. We're in a bubble, and yeah. um, it's who knows if this is still the Western Conference Finals uh, matchup in a regular postseason. So. Um, right. I've definitely. Right. You mean Jamal Murray might not be Steph Curry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, for all we know, it could be you know Clippers Lakers. It could be Rockets Clippers. It could be any kind of combination. Um, but that's getting off topic a little bit. Um, I think honestly, just seeing how bigs can still survive, and you know, especially looking at DeAndre, and he's someone that can guard on the perimeter, and I don't think he's going to get played off the floor. So that's in itself just like a cheat code in a playoff series so that's i think this helps um i don't i'm not gonna go out here and say he's gonna be this crazy dominant player like right away if they make it like next year or something but i think this definitely helps uh with his trajectory and at the end of the day you just need very good players on your team and denver has a very good team surrounding Jokic. and you look at you know obviously anthony davis has lebron james so i'm not gonna say like the bigs are back but um, it definitely helps when you're like evaluating DeAndre and potential in the playoffs. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely affirming of the value of a big. I agree with everything Brandon said, and you and I have talked about for a while, Mike, how 
DeAndre Ayton is a physical freak of nature, how he has all the attributes to break small ball lineups and do sorts of things that could be useful in the playoffs. It's just, you know, when you look at a guy like Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic, I mean, Anthony Davis hit two clutch threes last night, and we know that DeAndre Ayton doesn't quite do that yet. I mean, he started shooting them, but he doesn't, you know, he's not at that level yet. So obviously that's one thing that stands out. And then, you know, Jokic just showed aggression last night uh, at a level that we obviously haven't seen from DeAndre Ayton yet. I think you can do yeah. a lot of a lot of the things that Jokic does with creating out of the high post is stuff that Monty Williams maybe ultimately wants to get to a place where he can do those same sorts of things with DeAndre Ayton eventually in year three or four or five or whenever. Um, but he's obviously not there yet. I wouldn't expect DeAndre Ayton to really have stretches like Jokic did last night where he's scoring 11 straight points in the clutch and doing it through the post and um, as well as hitting threes and putting the ball on the floor and dribbling and, and doing all sorts of cool stuff. So Aiden's got a long way to go, but it is encouraging to, to see the fact that there is that big man battle in the Western Conference and even in the Eastern Conference as well, the fact that a guy like Bam Adebayo is playing such a big role for the Heat. Um, that's that's critical big men on three out of the four remaining teams. Yeah. Yeah, I think more than anything, it makes you glad that you have a guy that is built to be able to defend those big men as well. I think previously you you know you're as as somebody putting together a Western Conference team especially you're kind of looking for guys that can switch at everything and maybe if the Warriors come back as dominant as they can next season that's going to matter even more but now I think every team is going to look for guys that can defend Anthony Davis and defend Jokic and the Suns have a guy who could potentially do that I did the the DeAndre Ayton did only play in one game against the Lakers this season and uh, you know he was fine it was in january it was actually new year's day and uh i think ayton had something like 16 points and 14 rebounds uh lebron james had like a 31 point triple double of course and uh anthony davis had something like 26 points i haven't gone back and watched that i plan to at some point because i think that's just an interesting matchup for the suns being that they do legitimately play two bigs and try to do that as much as possible and because the season might not start until March, you might run some <laughs> stuff to, to I might cover. do a whole episode. I might do a whole episode on that on that one game. I mean, but, David know, Nash, think... we, we all love David Nash here, but he just wrote an entire newsletter on a lineup that played seven minutes uh, <laughs> in the regular season. So that's where the Suns fan base is right yeah, now. Man. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think about how it's important to have a lineup to play against those teams if you make the playoffs. And, and then like I always come back to the idea that I'm still getting ahead of myself here. The Suns just need to make the playoffs. That's like the most important thing right now. And there's, of course, a danger of like building your roster to beat a specific team. We watched the Rockets just sort of downgrade and downgrade their size eventually just to try and beat the Warriors. And then they get killed by size in the playoffs after all of that. So, you know, there's a danger of that anyway. But just I think just a reminder of how important these guys can be. And I also think an example of of what it takes for a big man to be successful. Cause you know, you made a comparison, Sam of Anthony Davis and Deandre and, 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 you know, I'd argue that they're just so different. They're, <laughs> they're not even close to the same types of players. And if you just look at numbers, I think or like early in the career of Anthony Davis and early in Deandre Ayton's com- career, maybe you can make some sort of comparison, but they're so drastically different in play style that the type of use uh, for each of them is going to be so different if they're ever in the playoff series, if the Suns are ever in a playoff series. But I think it's just been fascinating to watch it and fun. 
uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, Brandon, do you have any other thoughts on that series that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so I'll just like add on to what you're talking about with uh, Davis and Aiton. They do have one thing in common, and that's pissing off their fan bases by taking mid-range jumpers. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have on that, though. Um, I think, I think uh, Adebayo is actually a really good like so that's someone that Aiden should watch yeah. a lot of, especially from the playmaking yeah. standpoint. Um, yeah. Study yeah. his film as much as you can, because if he can turn anything into like near what Adebayo is uh, with the dribbling and you know the short roll playmaking, then that would elevate this and the offense. defense. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. too. You know, you know what's kind of crazy about Anthony Davis though is like I'm I'm there with you, Brandon. I've given him shit about the mid range jumpers too, but he's shooting like 60% or something crazy on mid-range shots in the playoffs. Like he's not a very good mid-range shooter just by the numbers Mm -hmm. in the regular season. And then it's a small sample size. Who knows if it's sustainable, but that's kind of the beauty of the playoffs, right? The the playoffs is small sample size. It doesn't have to be sustainable. So he kind of just got hot at the right time and he's lifting their offense uh, in a really big way through that mid-range shot, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. He takes some tough ones too. And I think the Lakers were kind of laughed at when this team was put together at the beginning of the season. And, you know, LeBron had some comments about, well, this isn't, this is built for the playoffs. We're trying to build this team for the playoffs. And, and, um, they did, I I think you, you watch that team and they're kind of built for when the game looks like it does right now. And the versatility of being able to play Anthony Davis at center and power forward, depending on who you're playing against is pretty interesting. Like, it's nice to have Dwight Howard to just kind of beat up Jokic for a few plays. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, Baines did for the Suns for a while. And it's just a reminder. Physical tone setters, uh, as Bane fans Yeah, you need some say. tone setters. <laughs> <laughs> you need some tone setters. And ideally, it would be a guy, a guy like Baines instead of Dwight Howard. I still, I'm not, you know, I think you need to be on a team with LeBron James if you're Dwight Howard in order to be successful at this point. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about, I, I, I'm glad we spent some time here up front talking about big men and talking about the center position because of how important it is for the Suns. But no matter what, wings are vital in the NBA today. The Suns have a few pretty good ones. And if I had to guess, I would guess that all of them are returning next season. That does not necessarily mean that we have enough. So we wanted to cover two specific wings, uh, two people that you've written about recently, Brandon, in Isaac Okoro and Devin Vassell. Let's let's start with Okoro, I think, because we've talked a little bit about Vassell on this podcast in the past. We haven't really covered Isaac Okoro much. Uh, what are your thoughts? Let's start just from a general sense on, on Okoro, maybe even his fit on the Suns. Yeah, so I... Before Aiden showed the flashes of the shooting, I was sort of against the fit, even though I do, um, I'm pretty high on Okoro in general. Um, He's the best on-ball defender in the class, very physical, just like a a powerful wing that, you know, teams are going to covet because he can take on the number one assignment um, of the opponent's team, like night in, night out. And when you think about that, um, that would free up Mikel Bridges from having to guard the, the best player every night and getting you know, Mikel off ball, you know, to wreak havoc with those limbs just everywhere. Like, I think that's where he's at his mm-hmm. best, just playing as a free safety. Like, he can yes. he can definitely disrupt, yeah. like, you know, on ball with, like, some of the best players in the league. We've seen that. But having someone like Okora that you can assign on the best player of your opponent would really unlock a level uh, to this defense that they just have not had in a long time. And Yeah, I, I, I read the free safety comparison in your article for Mikhail that 
I thought was really interesting because I think Suns fans right now associate Mikhail with strong perimeter point of attack defense, but that's you're right. That's maybe not necessarily unlocking his full potential um, defensively. And so I think a guy like Okoro, if he has those sorts of strengths, is really interesting. Um, for people who may have absolutely no prior knowledge of him, I'm just going to read out the yeah. stats. Um, Isaac yeah. Okoro, 19 years old from uh, the University of Auburn. Um, his stats don't, this is the interesting thing about it is, you know, he's only 19 years old. His stats don't pop off the page, in my opinion. He averaged 13 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists, a steal and a block per game. Um, he shot 61% on twos, which is really good um, for a wing, but only 29% on threes and only 67% right. um, from the free throw line. Um, the thing that really stood out to me, just even before I even really watched much film on him, is just from a physical standpoint. Six foot six, six nine mm. wingspan, and two hundred twenty five pounds at nineteen years mm-hmm. old. This is not something to me. Um, and and Brandon, you can share your thoughts on on this after. But like that's a very NBA ready body in a way that yeah. I don't think you usually see from most nineteen year old wing prospects. Yeah, absolutely. He's that's the difference between I think him and Vassell. Um, they both so Okoro. He's more of like a guy that can guard fours, then like with Vassell, you're probably going to be playing more of the two and three. Coro is just like a power wing. And I think he yeah. can also guard some ones. Like, I don't think he's going to be like locking up Steph Curry or anything, but he can definitely switch and hold his own um, on most ones. And just the ability to guard positions one through four and, you know, him being like the athlete he is along with like how smart he is too. He's probably one of the most underrated passers in this class. Like he's not a playmaker, but he just knows he makes the right decision more often than not. He was on a really good Auburn team. You know, he understands to keep the ball moving to cut without the ball, just super high IQ, kind of like Mikel Bridges where, you know, Ricky Rubio is going to reward him on his cuts and he's one of the best finishers in the class too. He, yeah, he can dunk. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He can, he can finish through contact. He can dunk. Um, you know, he shot 68% at the rim, which is beyond elite. So yeah, that's like not just a Josh Jackson type. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, not no. just a guy who, who hunts for posters and gets one every once in a while. And he has an actual frame and Jackson yes. is kind of like a, yeah. you know, wiry. Right. Frame. Well, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. I mean, Josh Jackson from Kansas came into the NBA probably at 200. Right. So for yeah. a Coro to yeah. be 19 and 225 is, is crazy to me. Yeah. I think that's why when you look at mock drafts, he's mocked so high because I think you you can sort of break it down if you're being as superficial as possible. This is a small forward, power forward who can't shoot and plays good defense. And you think, well, okay, cool. Maybe 14, 15, at 16, maybe you get a guy like that. But when you see him, he looks strong. (laughs) He looks very, very, very strong. He looks like a guy that will, like, if I had to guess, at some point I would guess that he's going to play center in some sort of small ball lineup at some point of his oh, career yeah. because right now 66566225 6, and 19 like when he's 25 how strong is he going to be will he be PJ Tucker strong i would bet on it uh more than i would bet against it i think what what i look at when i look at guys like this i think what's really important is basketball iq people consider him to have a very high basketball iq and i think in order to be a good defender you have to have a good basketball IQ. So when you draft a guy like Okoro, you say, well, he's going to contribute right away defensively. He can cut. He can score at the rim. But in order to be a high-level contributor at some point in his career, you have to count on him 
being able to develop some sort of shot. I tend to believe that guys with high IQs who are good defenders can learn how to shoot at some point in their career, usually. What do you think about his mechanics, Brandon? And and do you think his shot is the type of thing that can get there at some point? Because it looks a little funky to me when I watch it. Yeah, uh, the jumper needs a ton of work up top. But like the good news is like the base actually looks fine. Like his footwork isn't terrible. So I think as long as he's open to a mechanics overhaul with his release, because it's really like rigid and just kind of stiff at times. And um, if you, I think he has like one of the best work ethics in this class too. So I don't think there's going to be any question of like him trying to improve and you know, all the NBA Intel, like all the coaches he's ever had, just like praise his work ethic and say he's the best worker, you know, that they've ever had. And you know, he was actually for the RSCI, which is like the basically the consensus rankings coming in from high school. He was ranked as the 36 best freshman uh, in college basketball coming yeah. in. And wow. now he's probably going to be drafted, you know, above everyone other than maybe like two or three of those guys that were in front of him. Yeah. Wow. And that's crazy. Yeah. And I think that that really has to do with his work ethic. And that's something you look at Javon Carter when he's at West Virginia, you know, he shot 31 percent like his first two seasons. And, you know, he wasn't supposed to be a shooter. He wasn't supposed to be anything, but he just worked his ass off and, you know, ended up shooting, you know, 39% his junior and senior year. And now he's over 40% in the NBA. And I think betting on players that want to get better is always smart. And he's someone that I think will just continue to like outwork his rankings and, and his peers. I, I really like it. And you, you want to know why I really like that comparison too, is talking about the shooting Mikhail Bridges, I think, is another guy. Like, Mikhail Bridges was not a good shooter as soon as he entered Villanova. Mikhail Bridges didn't become a 40% three-point shooter immediately. He was like a 44% three-point shooter or something crazy by his junior year finally. But I think the critical thing to remember, right, if you draft this guy, is Isaac Okoro's 19 and Mikhail Bridges was 22 when he was drafted, right? So, like, mm-hmm. the focus needs to be not so much on next year. I think Suns fans are compelled to think about next year and they're compelled to think about these prospects in terms of what can they contribute right away because this, yeah. they want the Suns to make the playoffs. But like, yeah. what are your realistic expectations of a guy like Isaac Okoro in year one, Brennan? Because just speaking for myself, I would draft a guy like this with the expectation of he's a hard worker, he has an NBA-ready body, um, and I'm betting on the production starting to come in year three or four when he could maybe be like a maybe a starting caliber wing, um, especially if the shot develops. But in year one, I'm expecting maybe a guy you throw out there for 10 minutes a game and he gives you some good defense in, in some lineups, but otherwise not actually contributing much immediately. Yeah, you know who I think he'll have a similar uh, career arc to is, I, don't, I hate comparisons, but like uh, OG Ananobi from Toronto, just how they slowly mm. worked him up. And now he's like not terrible offensively and he's actually showing some signs of shooting. I think, you know, you have to be realistic bringing him in. You're going to have to develop him slowly, as you mentioned, Sam. And just, um, you know, I I think they kind of have that luxury now, which is something they haven't had in the past when they've taken guys like Bender and Jackson and, and, you know, just so if they they take him at number 10, they have to realize he's probably going to be, you know, your backup three, four that'll play 10, 15 minutes a night. And He's probably not going to do much on offense, but he's going to really try and play defense and do whatever he can to disrupt um, the opponent's best player when he's on the court. Yeah, I, I look at him and just physically looking at him play defense in a lot of these scouting videos that you can find and, and watching full games. 
if you can find them. And uh, it, it reminded me of Dort in the playoffs, which is funny to say because Dort wasn't even drafted, uh, but then immediately became a contributor on a good team in the playoffs. But the reason I say that is because Dort came into the league capable of guarding James Harden. A lot of people talk about what James Harden's good at. Commonly, people don't mention how strong he is. He's very, very, very strong. And for Dort to be able to stay in front of him consistently meant that he was NBA ready basically right away. And that's what I think of when I look at Okoro. I look at his body and I say, look, this guy can he can stay in front of even the most athletic players in the NBA likely right away. And, uh, you know, I would think that if he came into the league, he'd be capable of doing that even in his rookie year. There's a chance that, just like you said, I think he'd be basically fourth in line for all the forward positions, but there's two on the court at a time. So 15 minutes is a fair thing to get out of him. But I think there's a chance with a guy like him where he plays so well against certain guys that he ends up closing the game because of his defense and how important it is on certain guys. The question I have, though, is what kind of ceiling do you think he has? Because I think this is an important thing. We don't know where he's going to get picked. This draft is so bizarre. He's been uh, he's been everywhere as far as mock drafts, and it's difficult to know where he's going to where he's going to be picked. If he's available at ten, say the Suns pick him. What do you think his absolute ceiling could be if things go right for him? So yeah, he's been mocked anywhere from like going second to to twelfth. So um, you know, it's a pretty wide range for him. I think as far as his ceiling goes, you know the shot is obviously the swing skill for him. And I don't think anyone believes he's going to be like this crazy shot maker, but if you can at least get to the point of competence and hit a high end shooting outcome, I could see kind of like an Andre Iguodala type. Wow. Um, mm. That's obviously like very high end. I'm not projecting well, that, yeah. but um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the type of role I think he'd fill. Um, yeah. That's, I, I just think like the ability to finish and if he puts together all the other stuff, his handle is pretty, I actually like his handle too. I think he, he can mostly get where he wants and uh, just the ability to finish too just really makes him a well-rounded player. Yeah, just the pa- like you mentioned that you said he was an underrated passer, but just the passing highlights you posted in your article I thought was really cool because it's more yeah. affirmation that this is a guy where if he does develop more of the off-the-dribble ability, you can trust him to plug into a .5 system and make make the right decisions, right? Exactly. And that's kind of critical. As we talk about, yeah, I mean, not every prospect has that that level of IQ, so that was that was very cool to see as well. Yeah, and then low end would be like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He just doesn't figure out the shot, right. and you know, doesn't know right. what he's doing. Yeah, so or like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson yeah. or something, right? Like, see, that's not such a great player. It's probably, exactly. it's probably so. Still, it all comes down pro- to the development staff, really. I think of whoever lands him. Yeah, right, right, because he says Kawhi. Right, if you asked him. Uh, he'd say Kawhi because that's how that's how guys are. They want to be the best of the best of the yeah. best. And I think he when there's a great video for those who haven't seen it. Mike Schmitz, the ESPN guy, uh, for those who remember, did a long scouting report video with DeAndre Ayton where they broke down plays. There's one of him doing this same thing with Okoro. Uh, watch it if you haven't watched it. It's fascinating to hear him talk uh, about a specific plays but the three guys that he talked about are Kawhi Leonard of course and I think if you're a defender if you're a wing defender of course you're going to watch Kawhi Leonard footage uh the other guy uh was Jalen Brown I think he actually grew up with Jalen Brown these are guys that played against each other and they're from uh close neighborhoods so they played against each other their whole lives and he looks at Jalen Brown as a guy that is successful early in his career and he 
thinks that he could model his game after him. And the other guy that he mentioned was Andre Iguodala. So I think he's aware of those uh, types of things. And I think a big thing, the difference I think between Okoro and Vassell, who we're going to talk about next, is that Okoro is more of a four. I, I look at him and I say he's a four. And I think when you talk about his handles, Brandon, I think th- they're a plus handle at the four position. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. For his position, for what he's supposed to be, they're a plus. He's not like a point forward or anything like that. Right, right. And I don't know that this is, they would necessarily be as big of a plus for him if he were more of a three the way, like, I think Devin Vassell, although he could probably still play both positions, I think it maybe it wouldn't be as much of a plus there. Uh, but I do think he's really interesting, and I, I just think if you had to guess, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this, do you think he'd be available for the Suns at 10? So I don't think Okoro or Vassell will both be there, but I think there is a chance one of them will be. Um, just because you look at the like the wing depth in this class and there's not a ton of it, and there's multiple teams that could use one. So you know, you have Denny, Okoro, and Vassell, and after that it's just pretty much guards and, and bigs. So um it's it's tough. I it really just depends like with who trades up as well. So it's tough to project, mm-hmm. but um I'd put it I think there's like a fifty fifty chance one of Okoro or Vassell are there. And I it really just depends on who goes first and where they go. Yeah, well, I'm glad we're covering them then. Um, Let me ask you this. I know you've written about Killian Hayes as well in the past. We covered, we talked a little bit about Killian Hayes with Spencer Perlman last month when we did our last draft episode, and I think there's plenty more we could say. But you said in your article, if Killian Hayes drops to 10, uh, you take him in an instant, regardless of who else is on the board. And beyond that, I believe you also said you would consider... What I could be getting this wrong. Did you say you would trade up to get Killian Hayes in one of your articles? Oh, yeah, I would that I'm thinking of. You are. Okay, good. So so I am right about that. Um, if Okoro and Vassell, if your intel tells you that neither of them... Well, let's start with just Okoro. If you don't think he's going to last till 10, would you trade up for him or you would only take him if he fell? I would only take him if he fell. Um, I don't think he's worth giving up future assets for. Um, it, it also depends on what the asking price is too, I guess. Like if they just traded up like two spots for him and it's cheap, then maybe, but... I want to trade up to like four or five or anything crazy like that for Okoro. Sure. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. There's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team and player coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I think we've made, as a fan base, assumptions about the type of guy that James Jones likes or uh, Jeff Bauer, depending on who you believe is pulling the strings. Uh, Where is he? And We still haven't seen David Nash and, and, and Jeff Bauer in the same room at the same time. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think that Okoro is the type of guy that if the Suns picked him, I think it would give you an indication of how confident they are in their staff as far as development goes. There's no G League team, obviously, but you're picking a 10. You're not picking a guy that you want to play in the G League anyway. You want this guy to be, even if he's not playing, on the bench with your NBA team, getting used to the NBA life, which who knows what that'll be next season anyway. But if you remember, James Jones talked about when <laughs> when the previous coach was fired, uh, Kokoshkov, he talked about bringing in a development-type staff and that's what he considered Monty Williams it wasn't even a win now move to him it was more like a culture development move and I think Okoro is a guy that you have to be really confident in your ability to develop players to pick a guy like him because the the high level outcome of what he could be is so good with the right system and I'm glad you said that Brandon uh when we talk about what we assume James Jones guys are the sort of ready-made NBA players who are good at shooting. Well, that's what Devin Vassell is. And I'll tell you guys this. I watched, I've watched. i watched a lot of footage of people in this draft because, like we talked about, there's been a lot of time to do it. I'm probably more prepared to talk about one of the worst drafts in the last 10 years <laughs> than any other draft that's existed because of the amount of time that we have to do it. But hey, and you're here's not what happens. But I'm not a draft guy. Yeah, I'm not out there telling you <laughs> everyone's wrong, yeah. but but me. Yeah. Uh, but here, here's the thing. I'll watch all these guys, and like I'll watch a Coro for 45 minutes breaking down film with Mike Schmitz, and I'll go, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, this guy's good. And I'll watch some footage of like Kira Lewis, and I'll be like, yeah, Kira Lewis, I could see it. I could see how he could be good. But then I watch Devin Vassell, and all I could think is, oh, this is easy. This is the guy. This is clearly the guy. He's so smart and he's so long and he can shoot. Like these three things put together in a package is called Mikhail Bridges. And when you watch Devin Vassell, all I can do is compare him to Mikhail Bridges. And that means I'm picturing a potential team with two Mikhail Bridges on that team. And I love that idea. Now, like if I had the fourth pick, I'd probably pick Devin Vassell at this point like and I wouldn't feel bad about it in any way am I insane Brandon <laughs> am I crazy for thinking Are you this a lunatic? not, not am at all. I a lunatic I, yes. he's ranked fourth on my board which is higher than most oh. so not at all I I'm very <laughs> high on him uh yeah I would, I would definitely I would even consider trading up for him that's how much I like him but wow me too I 100% agree on that and I think to me this is one of those obvious 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 like wins if you draft a guy like Devin Vassell. And I feel like it's the type of win that maybe not all GMs would be 
on board for. And I just don't know where he's going to fall. He He's actually commonly mocked at 10 where the Suns are picking. And if that happens, like, talk about a win. What do you like about Devin Vassell, Brandon? You have him fourth, which obviously I agree with. But what do you like about it? Yeah, so he's the best team defender in the class by far. Um, arguably the best overall defender. Just like super disruptive, gets a ton of deflections, you know, smart on rotations, help defense, you know, jumping the passing lanes. And he's really good at like baiting the offense too, to like exactly like Mikel yes. Bridges. So um, the one difference with him and Mikel would just be, you know, Mikel's a little bit longer. He has like three inches on his wingspan. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not even like, Vassell is still a 6'10 wingspan, which is insane. So it's not even a knock on him. It just shows you how freakish Mikel is. Um, but he's in the same category, just being a, a glue guy that's very good decision maker, high IQ, which is all the things that Coro are. But the difference is obviously he shot 41% um, in his two years at Florida yes. State from three. So that's a known commodity. And that's that's why I have him over Vassell at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I do think, you know, the athletic um, limitations could, you know, there is a world where Okoro ends up as a better prospect if he hits a high outcome. But um yeah, Vassell really fits, you know, what we know or think James Jones likes too. You know, sophomore, mm-hmm. can shoot, plays defense, high IQ. So just right. would be awesome to watch him play with Mikel Bridges defensively. I yeah. um I, I took the liberty of pulling up the stats. If you want the comparison, do you want the junior year Mikael Bridges comparison versus sophomore year Devin Vassell? Um, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty insane. Bridges averaged, per, this is per 40 minutes to put them on an even playing field. Bridges had 22 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.9 steals, 1.3 blocks. Vassell had 18 points, a little bit less, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, exactly the same 1.9 steals, exactly the same 1.3 blocks. Um, (laughs) Which is a funny coincidence. Bridges had a 65% true shooting. Vassell had 59% true shooting. I think the difference there is that both were good 3-point shooters. Uh, McHale got to the line a little bit more. Um, and he shot a little bit better from the line, and he he also seems to just do a little bit better with his um with his two pointers. Um, both both of these guys had great advanced stats. I I love some of the stats you brought up in your article too, Brandon. You said the only guys in in recent NBA history to shoot forty percent from three with a four point four percent block rate and a two percent steal rate are Devin Vassell, Danny Green, Robert Covington, and Derek White. Mm. And I think that's just really cool company to be in. For what mm. the Suns are looking for. Because if you've committed to Devin Booker as your number one and DeAndre Ayton as your number two, and you have the choice to add a role player like a prime Danny Green or a Robert Covington or even a guy like Derek White is looking up as well, just high IQ, great team defenders. Um, that So, yeah, I mean, no promises that that, again, if we don't like like playing the comparison game too heavily here, but um, no promises that he turns out like the next Robert Covington. But if that's what he's projecting similar to, that is a really exciting thing. It's obvious why so many people uh, online, I think, would have uh, the Vassell fever. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a lot of like, he has a little bit of like underrated upside too, just in terms of, you know, Florida State's yes. system is like, it kind of limits any like high volume shooting or like one player being like super ball dominant just because they're so well balanced and just the way they play, it's it's kind of similar to Phoenix in a little, a little way, yeah, a little bit. But they just don't have a Devin Booker, so they just kind of everyone does their own thing, and that's where I think he could fit in. Just because I think he'll be shooting on a higher volume in the NBA, and obviously the off the dribble shooting improvement from his freshman year to sophomore year was insane. Um, he 
he shot just like two for 19 on long twos as a freshman and then bumped it up to, you know, 49 for 115, which is 42% as opposed to 10% from his freshman to sophomore year. And he only had one pull-up jumper his freshman year and 39 in his sophomore year. So see, yeah, that, that's, that's elite. That's the critical thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what, when you watch like 41% from three is really impressive, even if, you're just shooting catch and shoot threes in the corner wide open. Like that would still be impressive, but he's taking difficult shots. This is a guy that people know he shoots threes. There's people closing out on him consistently. He has to find ways to fake it, get open, uh, dribble into the shot. If he has to, uh, you know, get uh, screened off the ball. He's taking difficult shots and still hitting them at a 41% rate. And I think you combine a almost seven foot wingspan with a 41% three point shot. That's just one of those things that does not happen often. And that's the type of player that, you know, Sam said the Suns want. And I think you're, I think you're right. Like, like we we talk about it all the time. Uh, Devin Booker, if you're committing to that, you want players like this, but the truth is every team wants a player like this, but the best situation is that you put them next to a superstar like Devin Booker. That's where they become, uh, the best possible situation. If we're talking about development too, I think it's interesting. I think a guy like Isaac Okoro, you know, you talk about his shot and how that's such a, like a swing, like you want him to be able to develop that shot eventually. And I think what's nice about the Suns and the situation they're in now is if you draft a guy like Okoro, you can say, here's your role. You're going to play defense. You're going to get rebounds. You're going to cut when the cuts open. But what you need to work on right now is eventually getting great at that three pointer. And I think what's nice is you're not putting him in the situation like Josh Jackson where, hey, Josh Jackson, you're now considered the second best player on this team. You have to be a star eventually. You get to bring him along slowly, and that's how you become a good three-point shooter eventually. I think what the difference is with Devin Vassell is I think he fits into an NBA roster right away. He's got the body for it, a lot skinnier than uh, Okoro, 25 pounds less in in their listed weight, uh, and essentially the same height. But he's got that three-pointer down right away, and that means the type of development that Vassell's going to do is the type of development that you're seeing going on with a guy like Mikhail Bridges, where it is the type of development that can turn you from a role player into like a high-level role player, I'm afraid to say it, or even at some point, a star, like a star player. And I see that type of potential for a guy like Vassell, where I'm like ultra, ultra confident that this is a sure thing. Now, I'm going to ask you again, do you need to talk me off the ledge here or do you also see a potential star uh, in the making with Devin Vassell? So I I think he's definitely has a chance to be a star role player. I'm not sure like star star, um, but I could see a world where he hits, you know, like a Chris Middleton type of offensive threshold. Like that's absolute best case scenario just because they're kind of similar right. in how, you know, Middleton doesn't have crazy burst. He's not just like super athlete, mm-hmm. but he's he can like handle the ball and he could shoot over smaller defenders because of his length. Um, so that's kind of like a best case type of offensive outcome, which um, it would take a lot, but I wouldn't rule it out. And, you know, I think he could have a similar career path to like Mikel, how his rookie year, a lot of fans just saw the points per game, like casual fans saw the points per game or a little disappointed. Um, but, you know, he still had a historically good rookie season defensively, like you look at the numbers they're actually insane and he deserved to be a second on second team all rookie that voting is a joke anyways um <laughs> but yeah i think you know star is 
reaching a little bit, but like it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities. I think he could be a star role player that's more realistic. Um, but if like the off the dribble stuff is real, then you're mm-hmm. going to look like an absolute genius, mm-hmm. Mike. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's what excites me most because if Devin Vassell yeah. was just a three and D guy, it's the critical thing for me. Yeah. If Devin Vassell was just a three and D guy and he shot, you know, twenty percent on long twos this year like he did in his freshman season, I wouldn't be that excited. But the fact that he has that off the dribble ability, it adds an additional layer that's so interesting to his game because obviously every NBA team is looking for these three and D guys. But when the playoffs come, we've also seen kind of team archetypes that are built around a superstar, and then a bunch of guys who hit threes and play defense. But basically, I'm talking about the Houston Rockets. You know, those guys will get the ball in the corner, and they're afraid to pump fake, and they're afraid to dribble, and they just sit there and they shoot the three. And the fact that you're confidently telling me that Devin Vassell is not that guy, maybe he doesn't have the most burst in the world, but he isn't afraid um, to take a couple dribbles, go for the pull-up two, maybe, you know, slash all the way to the rim uh, every once in a while— um, is really telling about what his potential could be. The interesting thing to me is that Vassell seemed to be as bad at his pull-up shooting in his freshman season as Isaac Okoro just was. Um, so, like, is there any possibility, do you think, Brandon, where Okoro has the same exact development in the next year of, of his development arc, that, like, he also becomes a kind of a pull-up shooter, or is he just so much more raw than than even Vassell was a year ago? Yeah, it's a little tri- like a tricky question, I would say, just because like Okoro is not going to be going back to Auburn. So, you know, obviously being a rookie in the NBA is a different, um, he's not going to have the same opportunity uh, that Vassell right. did as far as like volume and all that. But um, I think just v- with Vassell's like 41% shooting as a freshman, even though it was like a low like volume kind of speaks towards like, you could kind of see that happening. With Okoro, I'm not as confident. I think it's going to be like a multi-year thing. And uh, yeah. you look at like what Boston did with like Jalen Brown and even Marcus Smart, just like how they developed them with their three pointer to where, you know, they're not like, you know, sharpshooters, but they're, you know, competent at this point. And I think he'll have a similar career arc where, you know, if when the shot does come, because I think it will eventually get to the point where it's not a disaster with the Coro. It's just a matter of like when that happens. Um, so, yeah. I think that, he has to change his mechanics. Yeah, uh, like, absolutely. Like his, I think that they might just kind of break him down and build him back up. Isn't again it a shame gets him. that we just lost Darko Ryakovich? Because <laughs> yes. he was credited with rebuilding Mikhail's shot. Yeah. And it would give you a hell of a lot more confidence about him doing the same thing with Okoro. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's why it's going to matter as far as who joins the team going forward. But I just think you, if you have to rebuild a guy's jump shot, there's a chance it's great at some point, but I think it's going to take some time in order to get there. Whereas uh, with Vassell, the mechanics are there. You you watch it; it looks good. It looks like you know, it looks like what you want it to look like for a guy with those long of arms. And I think we didn't talk about it much. Uh, Okoro's wingspan relatively short for his size. Obviously, Vassell is insanely long. Actually, we haven't really covered his physical profile much at all. Uh, tall, skinny, and long. I mean, I guess is what <laughs> tall, he dark, is. Tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> he's six seven, uh, six ten wingspan. He's pretty. His yeah. profile is pretty similarly to Okoro. Okoro's also got a six nine wingspan, but um, six eight and a half is what or I six saw eight and a half. Really, well, yeah. you know what? Which I, is big. What yeah. I think it might be is a six eight and a half wingspan at power forward versus a six ten wingspan at small forward is really where you feel the difference, right? Right, right. That that's interesting, and I I think what's I think the difference with with what makes them good. They're both smart defenders, and I think I want to give credit to Okoro there too. Uh, but what makes 
Okoro good defensively in a lot of ways. And, and Brandon, feel free to co- correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, here is his strength, and the wingspan thing could be what why some GMs pass on him early. But that strength, I think, matters a lot. With Vassell, uh, he's got the length, and he doesn't necessarily have the strength. But where Okoro is a really smart level defender, I look at some of the stuff that Vassell's doing, and I see like one of those genius level. Uh, type of defender <laughs> guys where I'm sorry I know another Shane uh, Battier comparison <laughs> incoming I'm yeah I'm going over the top here because James, I, can't James wait. Jones I, I, is just going to keep drafting Shane Battiers and and clones of himself and then I'll, t- I'll take them all I'll take them all uh, you know you I watched this game against uh, Duke um, earlier in the season and the the stuff he's doing he's fronting guys he's playing help defense he's jumping the passing lanes uh, he's locking guys down one-on-one. He's insanely smart uh, in team defensive schemes. And all of this happening in a single game. And all of it happening time and time again, possession after possession after possession. And I think that's why I'm so high on him. I think that's why a lot of guys are so high on him. You, you called him the smartest defender uh, in the draft, too. Uh, now, is that a good comparison as far as these two guys? And I don't want to discount Okoro. If you think he's that level of defender... Uh, feel free to correct me, but uh, you know that's just how I see yeah, it. Yeah, I think right now Vassell's the better defender, um, but where Okoro has an edge on him, I would say, is just the on-ball stuff. Like as you mentioned, just the strength. Uh, I think team defense is more valuable than on-ball for the most part. But right. if if Okoro does develop, like I think he can off-ball and just gets better at with his rotations and and uh, you know running the passing lanes and all that kind of stuff, then he has a chance to be better than than Vassell just due to you know, his, his frame. Right. Um, but that's, that's going to take time. And I think like Vassell is a better bet to be the better defender. Um, but they're both probably right. like, I would put them one and two in this class as far as just pure <laughs> defense. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the fact that we're talking about, you said you think there's a 50% chance that one of these two guys drops and it's the number one and number two defender in the class. And right. we could pair one of those guys with Mikhail Bridges. It's a win-win all around, you know, maybe some, one guy has to develop some of this and the other guys develop some of that. But if we're talking about the, how scary a defense would be with DeAndre Ayton making the strides that he is, and then you have Mikhail Bridges and one of these guys, it's just, it's it's really interesting to think about. Let me ask you this, Brandon. We already talked about Okoro being a little bit more raw. He comes in year one. Maybe his job is to, to be the garbage man and hustle and play 10 to 15 minutes and no more. Devin Vassell, what do you think he can do in year one or year two? Could he contribute to playoff basketball right away, potentially? Um, would he force the Suns into a situation, even with the three wings that we currently have, to find maybe more minutes for him somehow? Yeah, I could see that. He's especially like it's an 82 game season. A lot of like stuff's going to happen. Uh, you know, there's be foul trouble, injuries, just um, hot streaks, cold streaks. So there's there's always going to be minutes for for a guy like him, and it's going to be tough to keep him off the floor, honestly. And you know, I could see him playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. I think he's a little more NBA ready than Okoro for all the reasons we've kind of already gone over. Um, so yeah, I think he's someone, you know, he's not going to carve out like this crazy, like 30 minutes a game role just because of all the wing depth they have. But if he went to a team where they needed him to do that, I think he could, and it wouldn't be a complete disaster. Right. Uh, get ready for some Kelly Oubre at center minutes. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I, I want to, it's happened. Like this is something that's happened in the past. It's it's a proven thing, uh, and I would love to see it. Um, 
So I'm guessing just if you look at these two guys, you have Vassell over Okoro. Where do you have Okoro on your on your big board right now? Right now I have him seventh. Um, so not too far off. I just think, you know, the jumper is just such a question mark. And uh, but yeah, if you're if you're trying to take a swing, like if I was a team that didn't already have a star in place like the Suns do, I'd probably take Okoro over Vassell. And that's why I think boards are kind of like the general boards are fine just for your, right. your own personal right. use, but like team boards are like the most important thing. And right. so, yeah, Okoro, I'd take it. Like if I was like the Cavs or the Hornets or something like that, I'd probably take Okoro. Maybe, maybe the Bulls. Yeah, Bulls as yeah. well. Just a team that needs to take a swing. Uh, but if you already have your like star in place and like, you know, your foundation set and your creators, then Vassell makes a lot more sense. And I think the Suns have that. So, and so you like both guys at 10. You said you yeah. wouldn't trade up for Okoro. Would you trade up for Vassell? I would. Yeah. There's. Okay. There's, there's the distinction. Absolutely. And. It's not even a knock really on a Coro. It's just more, I think Vassell, he's someone that's going to like raise your floor as well. And if you're trading a future pick, like let's just throw the 2022 pick out there. And, uh, you know, by then you're hoping, you know, you're betting on this core to be picking like in the mid to late first round. And you have such a good young core in place that, you know, it's, it's not really that much of a loss. And the team that's going to be trading back, you know, they're going to be happy. They're getting an asset. And probably drafting someone that they like just as much as Vassell, possibly, depending on who it is. So um, I think this is the draft where everyone's going to try to trade back. So if you can move up for Vassell or like Killian Hayes, I would do it just because it secures you such a strong, like young core. Do you think Vassell can play at shooting guard too? Like, is that something that you think he can play up to? Yeah, I think so. It, it just depends too on the creation on like the rest of the floor as well um God, at least right away positionless basketball guys yeah so like guys, imagine this line cam johnson at center next year and it's gonna be beautiful <laughs> <laughs> we'll have too many wings an abundance of wings i that's what i want and it's funny because i look at this and i think um part of me thinks you you draft one of these guys and and part of the reason you draft one of them is insurance if, if kelly Oubre leaves or if things don't work out whatever happens and yeah, that's fun to think about, but I want all four. I, I just love the idea. Uh, I love the idea of the sort of interchangeable uh, positions that they they play, and you know, with Devin Booker and the development he's had at point guard, we all talk about it. That opens up the potential of playing these sort of massive lineups around him, where he's the shortest guy on the floor. And that's just a fun thing to think about. And, and that's the ideal for me in a lot of these scenarios. I like both of these guys. Maybe there are other guys that are going to be available. But right now, just looking at both of these guys, it's a fascinating yeah. thing. And I think you're right. I think Vassell probably can play right away. Okoro, like limited role, develop him slowly, and, and, it, and it'll work out. But what are your thoughts? I have like one random thought that relates to both of these guys. And that's just like, you look at like the free agency class, like for this year and then uh, even next year, you know, guys like Vassell and Okoro are not there. Like these guys don't grow on trees. I would, That's really true. I would rather, yeah. you know, just go out and sign like a DJ Augustine than draft Cole Anthony or Kyra yes. Lewis or Grant Riller when you can go out and draft Okoro or Vassell, who teams are always going to want these types of guys. And, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just like looking, you shouldn't really look at free agency as a reason to do this or that, but just the way the league is trending. And how easy it is to find like a capable backup point guard, even if it's just for like a year, you know, two years, whatever it is. Um, it's a lot easier to go that route. Yes. And you're not sacrificing yes. like talent or value in the process. I still wouldn't mind them going out, signing my guy, Justin Holiday, 
<laughs> also picking up one of the cellar coral and just <laughs> oh having my God. like just and then and then go and sign Shaq Harrison, bring him back, and then just you know yes. like length, just yes. length I'm everywhere. In. I'm, in. I'm in. That's my that's and my a fully deal. defensive bench Jones lineup. Jr. Derek Jones yes, Jr. Derek, too. We figured bring, bring at center. Back. Put him at center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the, I mean, it's just Devin Booker go out there and score thirty <laughs> points per game, run pick and rolls with DeAndre Ayton, yeah. and then everyone else just kind of flaps hey, about. I'm I'm just gonna say this, guys. But what is the team that Devin Booker grew up idolizing? It's the, the Pistons. Detroit bad Pistons boys. with not Rip bad Hamilton. Boys, but, yeah. No, it's the team that was built on defense with one offensive guy carrying the the, the entire team. So wasn't hey, that that it, team was such an aberration though like can another team ever win no. <laughs> like that you know with like rip hamilton maybe maybe with like a ben option? yeah the raptors just did right but, I mean, but that's kind of Ka- what no, happened Kawhi was Kawhi was different you know like i mean yeah but we're are you are you gonna go are you gonna get mad if i tweet rip hamilton was different <laughs> <laughs> people don't remember i'm sure if you go Dude back into bucket. devin booker's tweets from like 2012 when he was tweeting about hooters he would be tweeting the same sort of thing about rip <laughs> hamilton he was like yo that boy rib hamilton he's different bro but <laughs> yeah no, i don't know okay i i want to just I, I don't want to get off this train of thought real quick and then we'll let you go brandon but you talked about uh, the ease of finding uh, a backup point guard and if you're looking for that backup point guard yes and i agree with all of that and i actually think if you're trying to put together a sort of a, a war chest of assets to, to, to try and make the type of trade that you make for a potential superstar, I think Vassell is better for that as well because he's just one of those guys that has a type of potential. And I mean better for that than necessarily drafting a young point guard because young point guards take so much time to develop. So having said that, you've made the case for trading up for Vassell. You've made the case for trading up for Killian Hayes. If the Suns were to trade up for one player of those two, which one would you prefer? I would go with Killian Hayes. Just he's my number two ranked prospect, and I think he would be like a absolutely perfect fit next to Devin Booker on so many levels. Like that's your long term guy. As much as it pains me to pass on Vassell, he's one of the few I would take over him. Um, but again, it just depends on the asking price too. Because like, let's say Hayes goes like fourth or fifth or something, it's going to be a lot more than like trading up for Vassell at like six or seven potentially. So. Right. So there's there's like layers to it, but yeah, I would, I would like in a vacuum, I would take Hayes over Vassell. Yeah, it would be like that stupid trade that Bleacher Report keeps uh, suggesting, right? Where like the Warriors call you up and they've got number two and a trade exception, and they want like Kelly Oubre and ten. Like, would you do that for Killian Hayes? No, and then you no, take Hayes. I, I don't think no, that makes. That. I don't think that makes sense. So I think they they need yeah, as many NBA players as as possible, and even if if they're going to trade Oubre, they need an NBA player back, basically. Or clear if you had pass space for like, Pascal in that trade. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to re-team up uh, Mikhail Bridges and I kind of uh, like it. I, I mean, I don't I mind it. Like I like Pascal. I just I don't think that trade. Like if you're gonna trade Ubre, I think it should be for something much greater. Yeah, the only way you do that is if Ubre says, "Hey, I don't think I'm coming back after this year." Yeah, and and then and then you do that. I think and Ubre Ubre uh, uh, wouldn't do that. No, I don't think he would. I don't think yeah, it's, it's a really tough situation with his contract, honestly. I've just had headaches thinking about, you know, what they're going to do. I'm glad I'm not James Jones. Yeah, uh, yeah. And honestly, I think the most likely scenario is they're okay with the cap space if he ends up leaving because that free agency class is just more interesting than this current free agency class. Yeah, but the question and, is, are they going to retain the flexibility 
to have cap space, right? Like, because if they go out this year and they, you know, sign a bunch of guys to two-year deals, right? then they don't have that cap space anymore, regardless of if Kelly leaves. Yeah, and that's a good point. And there still would be some, I think there still would be ways to create cap space relatively uh, easier next season, uh, maybe than it would be this season. Like, because we're talking about, if you're creating max space, you're talking about, in a lot of cases, sacrificing Kelly Oubre or Ricky Rubio, uh, if you're sacrificing a Kelly Oubre at some point of his career because he doesn't want to come back, and then maybe only one year of Ricky Rubio, that's a little, uh, a little easier to to swallow, I think, for a general manager. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of time to talk about that though, <laughs> going forward for you and I, Sam. So I'm not gonna spend the last 20 minutes of this podcast talking about it. I just want to say, Brandon, thank you for joining us. I think you have done more work to cover these guys than Sam and I have and i think that brought a lot of expertise to this so thank you for joining us do you have anything that you would like to plug before we let you go oh uh, yeah just check out the timeline it's uh my favorite podcast you know um <laughs> other than that no thanks for having me on guys it, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun always a good time to be on here so thanks for, we'll thanks drop for having a link me to your we'll drop a link to your patreon so if people want to check out the, yes uh, the 2021 big board that you just did um they can do that you know that's going to be really interesting i think next year as as someone who let me let me just ask you this before we let you go. Mm. I think uh, as someone who doesn't give a shit about college basketball, like I don't have an allegiance. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, I, I respect. Uh, truthfully, I respect what you guys do because it's interesting to me. Yeah. But just college teams, I don't I don't really care about that until March Madness. Um, what do you think about multiple top 10 prospects next year being on the G League select team and like that, how that whole process is going to go down? I know there was just a, a new development today. I forget who broke the news about their thinking of having their own bubble where those guys can uh, can kind of develop in that environment and play other G League teams. Yeah, it's first off the 21 class. Maybe I've just been stuck watching 2020 for so long. It's like diluted my brain, but like it's one of my favorite classes, like probably in recent history. I think it's going to be stacked. Uh, there's so much like star power and like depth. So I don't want the Suns to trade their 21 pick, like no matter what. And yeah, the whole G League situation is going to be very fascinating. Just uh, it's it's going to be a new, really a new era of like scouting because you're going to have to compare like how these guys look against professional players um, and a lot of like grown men because they, they're saying it's going to be like undrafted free agents and then like G leaguers and stuff like that. So that's um, so, it's, it's yeah. so interesting and it's got to make it way yeah. harder for you guys. Yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of going to be like how it is like scouting like in like Euroball, just like, right. you know, um, right. how Luca just made professionals look like children and yeah there's gonna be there's gonna be outliers like that uh but yeah for players that just like come in and struggle right away it's gonna be tough to like really have anything to compare that to so it's gonna be a really interesting like first year yeah who knows when that draft's gonna be (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us brandon uh for the timeline fans here we'll be back next week if you have ideas of something you'd like to hear us talk about feel free to let us know you guys know how to get a hold of us Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix I'm so sorry. (laughs) I I blew it up. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Now I have to leave this in. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) You, Brandon. I'm your host, Brandon. And uh, go ahead. (laughs) Nobody builds 5G. 
like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.